This is Find Your Dream Job, the podcast that helps you get hired, have the career you want, and make a difference in life. I'm Mac Pritchard, your host. Our show is brought to you by MaxList, your best online source for rewarding, creative, and meaningful work. Visit maxlist.org to learn more. You'll find hundreds of great jobs there, a blog with practical career advice, and our new book, Land Your Dream Job in Portland and Beyond. Welcome to Episode 2 of Find Your Dream Job. Every week, we bring you the career tools and tips you need to get the job you want. Now, according to the Federal Bureau of Labor Statistics, the typical American changes jobs every 4.1 years. With most of us working well into our 60s, that means you may have 10 or more employers in your lifetime. And you'll not only change jobs, but careers too, perhaps up to seven times, some experts say. And now, none of this comes as a surprise to our guest today, Dawn Rasmussen. She says job security is dead, and what matters now is employability and knowing how to manage your career. Dawn is president of Pathfinder Writing and Career Services, uh, a company that provides resume, cover letter, and job search coaching services. She's the author of Forget Job Security, Build Your Marketability, a step-by-step guide to how to manage your career, attract promotions and salary increases, and find new opportunities. Dawn is also a career columnist for OnePlus Magazine and TalentZoo.com, and she's been featured on CBS Morning Watch, Career Builder, and in business journal newspapers across the U.S. Dawn, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Matt. It's a pleasure Great to have to you here. So, you know, I find that uh, uh, when I talk to job seekers, when they, they get their job, they think, that's it, I'm all set, my job search is over, and now I'm employed, and I don't need to think about that anymore. Now, tell me why you advise the people you work with to, t- to think differently. Well, you know, Mac, I, I always try to encourage people to see their career as something that's happening concurrently to their actual job. So while you're in your job, your career is happening at the same time. But the career is actually like a river that's running underground and it's carrying you on to the next destination. So it's it's all the things that you can do that can help prepare you for that next opportunity or position you to be in the right place when that opportunity does happen. So it's not just being a static thing. It's constantly uh, it's, it's a constant process. You really have to think about, you know, where do I want to go and, and what are the things that will kind of get me in that river so I can navigate it, even though you're in your current job, but there's some things you can take with you that will get you to the next destination. Okay, so you're in the canoe, you're going down the river. Good metaphor, I love it. Right. <laughs> now, what do you do next? Uh, how do you know where you're going? Uh, the way I've seen people do this successfully is they're, they're clear about their purpose. What, what do you see with the people you work with? Well, I think for the most part, the people I work with are pretty clear on what they want to do. Although, you know, I will get the occasional client. For example, I've had uh, recently someone who was trying to do too many things. She was applying for a medical uh, well, she was a medical uh, billings person, and she was trying to get into marketing and patient representation and a whole bunch of other things. And she was trying to cover all these different bases, but she wasn't being very clear on what she does best and how she might help employers. She was just kind of being a job search chameleon. That's a term I like to use, that she was changing the color of her spots for each job opening. And if you're not very clear on what you're going to you do best, then that's going to be a problem because nobody else can see that either. So the clarity 
helps you answer specifically what the employer's needs are. So it's really important to have a vision of what you want to do. And that can change, as you alluded to earlier, uh, you know, having some kind of, you know, uh, change in your life is inevitable. That's fine. But the main thing is, is to really be clear that, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to target this next thing. And then that may roll into something else later on down the line, whether you get bored or another opportunity comes along, but it's not a be all end all, but it's something that's a jumping off point to the next thing. So it's a constant process. It really is. So let's drill down into that process, Dawn, because I can imagine some listeners might be saying, well, I I get that vision matters, clarity matters, but I don't want to close out my options. I want to be open to a lot of different things because by doing so, I'll make myself a more attractive candidate. What steps do you see the uh, people take who are successful in in defining their purpose and and getting clear? Well, I use the example, no employer is going to hire a generalist. So if they have a, a need for X, whatever that job is, and they're hiring for X and they're going to be putting that that uh, kind of perspective, that microscope on X, looking at all the different candidates. So if you're not sure, you know, you can have more than one version of your resume. So you can have, you know, a couple different iterations. Myself, personally, I have a lot of different careers that under my belt that are extremely different from each other. I've been a uh, obviously a writer. I've been an educator. I've been uh, in sales, I've been in tourism, I've been a meeting planner. So I can't cram all those things in one resume. I have to be clear on who my target audience is. How would someone perceive what I'm saying in this document? Is it meeting their needs specifically? And it doesn't mean you have to cram all the non-relevant stuff in there. You can summarize it, but, you know, having a real understanding of, you know, how are you answering their call, their need and, and drilling down through that. So reading job descriptions, if you're not sure, that's okay. A lot of people, you know, they don't know what they want to do. And that's maybe where a, a career coach can help you work through that process because you really have to have that clarity. If you don't know what you want to do, then how do you expect an employer to know that either? So, you know, having some help or using some online tour, uh, tools such as uh, MBTA, MBTI, Meyer Briggs, and some of the other tests can help you or working with a career coach, like I mentioned, are all things that you can use to help pinpoint or narrow down what your focus is. And then have a separate resume for each one of those areas that addresses that. Okay. Yeah. And I, I hear that from a lot of employers. They they tell me that when candidates, uh, when they're interviewing <laughs> candidates, the question that's often going through their mind is first and foremost is, what can this person do for me? I've got problems. I've got work piling up mm-hmm. on a desk. Uh, mm-hmm. How is this person going to make my life easier? And they say that the candidates who who address that are, are the ones who stand out. Exactly. You need to figure out what the pain points are of the employer and how you're going to solve them for them. And then write your resume in a way that shows specific examples of how you have addressed those pain points in a relevant way that matches the job requirements. All right. Well, let's get back to the purpose and vision. Many people... Uh, may switch careers several times during the course of, mm-hmm. of their working life. How do you, how have you seen people when they're uh, thinking about uh, changing careers do that successfully? It's really, Mac, it boils down to looking at what are my transferable skill sets. So for some people, it's a pretty easy leap. I'll give you an example. There was one client of mine. She was in Chicago, and she was a writer. She wrote books. She did the whole publicity, marketing, and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
familiar with that aspect. And then she really had a passion for wine to the degree that she was going down to California and spending time with the winemaker. She actually did like a boot camp where you make your own wine. She toured with the winemaker. She worked part-time in a very high-end wine store in Chicago. And her passion was to really get into promoting wine. So by looking at breaking down her transferable skill sets, um, it was an opportunity for her to um, basically say wine marketing specialists. And so we married her marketing skills plus her wine and enology knowledge into a resume that really covered all those bases. So it was an easy step for her. For some people, they're not, they don't have that immediate step in front of them. So my suggestion is, is that if you're you're considering a career change, don't despair. You have to take an inventory of what skill sets that are relevant to where you want to go that you actually possess. And if there are gaps, there are opportunities to add in experience. For example, you could take a class that will fill in a knowledge gap area. So then you remove that liability from your job search. The second thing might be volunteering for a, a vol, uh, like a professional organization or a civic organization, performing the types of tasks that would matter towards where you want to go. And finally, for the people that are in school that may have gone back to school, they're more the non-traditional learners that they're they're kind of going back and maybe getting a new degree or repurposing their background. I suggest that you really go through your classroom experience and think about what projects, what kinds of papers, what kinds of experiments or anything else that would be real life applications of the concepts you're learning and give those as cite those as examples in your resume. Your header should be relevant experience, which can encompass both paid volunteer and educational experience. So that way it's sort of the loophole. Okay. So what, what I'm hearing is you be clear about your purpose, be prepared to switch jobs uh, uh, throughout your, uh, the course of your career or even switch careers. And when you're ready to switch careers, Dawn, think about those transferable skills or how you acquire them and, and document them. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, how do people know it, it's time to sw- now a lot of people I think don't think about uh, these things until someone uh, says oh there's a great job over at this company or this nonprofit organization or uh, they get a new boss and things aren't working out well and then they try to catch up uh, and so instead of thinking about the career over the long term and the, the investments they need to make they try to uh, to, to catch up and do all these things when perhaps it's too late uh, or things they might have done. What are some of the habits uh, that you see people who are successful career managers adopt and, and practice during the 30 or 40 years they'll be in the workplace? Oh, gosh, there's so many. <laughs> uh, you know, networking is probably job number one. We do tend to get a quite a bit complacent once we take on a new job, the heavy lifting has been done. You've made all the connections, you've landed that job and people are usually so consumed with learning the ropes of the new job that they really don't invest as much time or energy into the networking piece that they were spending during the job search phase. And so my biggest concerns, I see a lot of people just tune in, tune out basically on the networking. Oh, I'm too busy. I don't have time to go to this networking function. I, you know, I, I don't have time to do that. So, that's that your networking piece is really the critical lifeline. Most people find jobs through someone they know. Um, I know, I think it's Jerry Crispin from career crossroads had a statistic that said, if you apply only online, you have a 2% chance 
of getting an interview. If you apply and you apply working through someone that you know, you have about a 50% chance of getting interviews. So that really in stark contrast really shows how directly the networking impacts your, your job search success. So building that relationship and nurturing it and continuing the conversation from the initial meeting point is going to be critical for laying the groundwork in the future. Not only just, you know, when you need to talk to them, but they may consider you and, and it may come to you organically unsolicited even. So that could be one way. Um, another thing that I see a lot of people doing that are really good career managers is that they always see professional development as a, as a center to their own development so that they can continue to learn and grow their skill sets. Employers are hiring subject matter experts. So the more that you can gain job specific knowledge, it could be, you know, anything related to your particular job function, your industry or management, anything in those realms, those are some things you should be adding one or two, you know, activities one or a couple of year, times a year. So you show progressive job knowledge. And if your employer doesn't pay for it, this is absolutely an investment you need to make in yourself. It's not something you can say, well, throw up my hands. The boss won't pay for it. Oh, well, I won't do it. Yeah. Really? You know, you can't do that. Yeah, <laughs> you I think that's, a, invest in yourself, that's so. an excellent point about investing in yourself. And just to back up and think about that, uh, people who apply only on uh, online job boards and that's two two percent success rate that you you cited to put that in perspective um i think eight percent of people who apply to ivy league colleges get in so uh mm -hmm. you're you may have a better chance of getting into harvard than to getting a job on a via an online job board well, that's a pretty oh wow, that's a good statistic yeah. i love that one yeah <laughs> well and you know and you know the other thing i was going to mention too is that you know getting involved i mean we're all pressed for time and it's really hard to try to carve out the volunteer experience but by golly that's another way to kind of get familiar with other people and similar types of jobs and you end up becoming a known quantity as you give back through either volunteer experience if you're on a committee or on a board. So those are all really important factors as well as far as the people are really successful. They're the ones who are constantly doing those types of things. I realize not everybody's a super type A person, but you know, you don't have to be the leader of the committee. You can be involved in volunteering and be kind of that background person too. And that's okay. It's just make yourself known because no one's going to just reach out directly to you and say, I'm going to help you throughout the rest of your career. That doesn't happen. <laughs> okay. So get, get away, step away from the desk, get out into the community, go to a professional uh, association meeting, uh, do informational interviews and, and volunteer when, when and where you can. Okay. And there's some other simple things too that if I could just interject that you sure. know, if you go to a conference, write a recap of some of the biggest things that you're your biggest takeaways and share it with your office. Your boss sees the value in them sending you to that office and you're, you help enhance the knowledge of your colleagues. That's a great way to really help show value to the organization too. So there's, you know, there's a lot of things you can be doing all at once. And it doesn't mean that you have to enact this immediately when you start looking for a job. If you're constantly doing it, it's adding to that momentum, that river I was talking about. Okay. Well, we're coming to the end of our time together. I, I want to uh, uh, hit some any of the remaining points that you'd like to address. But one thing I'd like to bring up is I, I when I talk to job seekers, uh, I think many people get this. They understand they, they need to think about their career over the long term. They need to think about how to manage it. Uh, and they need to get out into the community. And one of the biggest barriers 
that they share with me that they face is is fear. They're they're mm-hmm. not sure how to do it. They're worried about rejection. Tell us uh, about uh, examples you've seen of people who have overcome fear and how they do it. Well, I think a lot of it, it you know, there could be the fear of rejection in, in the salary discussion. And I think a lot of people have a lot of trepidation about that particular discussion in particular because, you know, you're finally putting a number on what you think your value, what you're worth, what you think your value is. And by spending some time and doing some research and really looking at the numbers, you should start to feel very comfortable based on what you know what your contributions are. That should really help you justify what your salary requirements are. And part of that is making a business case. And the business case comes from keeping track of your accomplishments. The more you can quantify results and show benefit to employers, that means that you should, you have demonstrable valuable value to the company. And if you can back it up, then no one's going to question your numbers. They're going to say, okay, I really see how important this person is and be willing and able to talk about it. And that's kind of thinking about it and owning it, really. <laughs> well, that uh, the, those are great negotiating strategies. What When you think about career management in general, Dawn, mm-hmm. uh, and people who are uncertain about how to begin and, and, and get stuck, how, do they, how have you seen people overcome that? I think that they realize at some point that they need help and they reach out to um, maybe career coaches or writers or talk to mentors or talk to their um, trusted confidants. So it's, you know, everybody goes through a period of fear, I think, in their career management at least once or twice. I don't know if you have Mac, but I know I have. Oh, no, I, I <laughs> certainly you, have. I've you gotten have to stuck swallow myself. the fear because it ultimately – no, like I said before, you, you know, you're not, there is no job security. You really have to be your own advocate. So understanding and gravitating into that kind of mindset will help you realize that, you know, no one's going to do it but you. And I, I too have gotten stuck several times in my career. I, I've gone through two long periods of unemployment and what helped me overcome that fear and those obstacles was to get out and talk to people uh, through informational interviews and, and follow the, uh, many of the strategies that you've laid out, volunteering and and networking. Exactly. Tell our listeners how they can find you online and learn more about your book and your company. Oh, okay. Uh, My web address is www.pathfindercareers.com. And you can, I've got all kinds of social media links. I'm on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn. So you're more than welcome to connect me there. It's pretty easy find. Thank you, Dawn. And joining us today has been Dawn Rasmussen, president of Pathfinder Writing and Career Services. Uh, and thank you for being on Find Your Dream Job, Dawn. Thanks for having me. Joining me in the studio today are Ben Forstag, Managing Director of MaxList, and Cecilia Bianco, our Community Manager at MaxList. How are you two doing today? Good, Mac. I'm great. Good. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, Every week, uh, Ben scours the internet looking for blogs, 
podcasts and other tools you can use in your job search. And Cecilia uh, is listening to you, our listeners, and, and she joins us to answer your questions. So, Ben, let's start with you. What, what do you have for us this week? So, Mac, this week, Don Rasmussen talked all about career management. And that is, essentially, preparing yourself for the uncontrollable changes in your work life. This is a great thing to master because, as we all know, the only constant in this world is change. What do you guys feel about change? Well, I, I have two minds about it. I've certainly enjoyed the opportunities that changing jobs has, has brought, uh, especially the chance to learn new skills. But I have to to also share with our listeners, it's it's scary going into a new office and learning the ways of a new boss and, and mastering uh, uh, new responsibilities. I agree with Mac. I think change can be both refreshing and difficult, but I think that it's it's good to adapt to change and to keep learning how to better deal with it throughout your career. So it's a good learned skill to have. Yeah, I think most people struggle with change at some point in their life, and I do think it is a skill that you can learn. So my suggested resource this week is a book that provides some perspective on how to successfully navigate change, whether that change happens in your work or your private life. The book is called Who Moved My Cheese by Dr. Spencer Johnson. This was a bestseller back in the late 90s. Have either of you heard of it? I haven't, actually. I missed this one. I do remember this book, Ben. Uh, in 1999, I was the Y2K communications manager for the Oregon Department of Human Services. And my boss at the time, a terrific fellow, Dan Postrell, had a copy on his desk. He was a big fan of it. Uh, this book was everywhere in the late 90s. I remember when I was uh, training to become a YMCA camp counselor, they actually gave us a copy uh, to help us with that job. So this is a fast and easy read, but I think it contains a lot of good takeaways. The book is a parable about mice and very tiny people trapped inside a maze looking for cheese. When the usual source of their cheese disappears, the characters respond in different ways. The mice, who are evidently more resourceful than the humans, were already prepared for change and quickly move on to find other sources of cheese. The humans, in the meantime, are paralyzed by the question of who moved our cheese? Resistance to change and fear of the unknown prevent them from adapting to new realities and ultimately keep them from what they want. Cheese, of course, is just a metaphor for anything that you're searching for or anything that you want. It could be happiness or career contentment or a new job. When the book was really popular and the business world was using it as a training tool, cheese was often representative of higher profits and increased efficiency. The author doesn't ever say that. Um, he never really says what cheese is at all. It's up for the reader to decide. And really, there's no answer, a wrong answer. It's whatever you think and want. The book can't tell you what's important to you, obviously, but it can provide some perspective on how to navigate a constantly changing world to help you find your own personal cheese. I recently reread the book after almost 20 years, and I got a lot of value from it. Folks who are going through the uncertainty of a job change or a career change will definitely find some good lessons as well. So check out Who Moved My Cheese by Spencer Johnson. You can find it on Amazon or any major bookstore. We'll provide a link to it in the show notes for this podcast. And Cecilia, since you haven't read it, this is your homework for the next week. <laughs> okay, Ben, I will get on that. All right. Well, thanks, Ben. Again, if you have a resource that uh, you'd like to share with our listeners, please write Ben. His email address is ben at maxlist.org, and he is standing by his computer right now waiting to hear from you. And while he's doing that, uh, hitting the refresh button constantly uh, on his email, <laughs> let's move to Cecilia. Cecilia, what are you hearing from our listeners this week? Thanks, Max. So this week, our question is, how can I transition from the for-profit to the nonprofit sector? And as you know, we get this question at every event. It's a, it's a common question from our readers. And 
we actually had it at our most recent spring panel. Um, it was our first event at University of Portland. I'm sure Mac remembers this. It's a wonderful venue up there uh, and a, a beautiful campus. And Ben, I remember you were in the crowd as a guest and you actually asked our panelists a question. You got on the mic. I remember that. I'm sorry that you do remember that. <laughs> but yes, this was before I worked at MaxList back when I was back in nonprofit management. I bring this up because one of our panelists was actually asked this specific question, how to transition from the for-profit to the nonprofit. She had a really interesting answer that stuck with me. She was the HR consultant for Oregon Health and Sciences University Foundation. And she said that she has found for-profit backgrounds to actually be more valuable in some cases to a nonprofit. She said that they bring some skills that nonprofit professionals sometimes don't have from their work in the industry. So that really stuck with me because we don't hear it a lot and we hear people in the for-profit industry nervous and thinking they can't transition because they don't have what nonprofits are looking for. So one of the most important things that I got from that, that it's, it's a transition you can make, but you have to focus on framing your application to meet what the nonprofit is looking for. So as Don mentioned earlier, one of the most important things to do is to focus on your transferable skills and how you can apply your for-profit experience to show how it will contribute to a nonprofit's success and the needs that they have. So I think that's one of the most important ways to start your transition. But what about you, Matt? Because I know you get this all the time, too. I agree. Highlighting your transferable skills is a, a very smart thing to do. And the other lesson I draw from that story that you're sharing with us, Cecilia, is the importance of going to the source. So if you have an objection uh, in your mind about uh, finding a job in a sector or organization or company, get out there and talk to people in that sector or in that organization and in that company and ask about the concern. And in this instance, you we, we're hearing from the source, uh, a human resources director at, at a foundation who says she's eager to hear from people in the private sector and that uh, the, the trick is to highlight your transferable skills. Yeah, I'd agree with that, Mac. And I think the good news here is that um, there's a lot of new pressures on the nonprofit uh, sector to compete for limited resources, and a lot of nonprofits are bringing in new practices that they've gotten from the for-profit world. So folks who have experience in sales or business analytics or statistics, there's a lot of new opportunities for folks like that in the nonprofit world. Yeah, I definitely agree, Ben. And I think I'd, I would add that another important thing for people to do is to get out in the community and network and volunteer and get to hear the things that they're not getting in their for-profit background so that they can know what's going on in the nonprofit world and get connected to the important people and learn the important keywords. And I actually just spoke with a reader recently, and he took the advice that we're always telling people. He was coming from the public sector to the nonprofit industry, and what he did was he made it a big part of his life to get out in the community and network, and this helped him learn the skills that he needed to work on that he was lacking because everyone in the nonprofit community, when you get out there, they, they want to help you and they'll give you the information you need. So you just need to put yourself out there, which is exactly what he did. And beyond networking, he also volunteered at Habitat for Humanity. And this, this gave him some really great connections, and he ended up learning the skills he needed to work in a nonprofit and he actually recently landed a job. So 
you'll see him featured on our blog shortly. I'm sure Mac will look forward to that. He loves hearing our readers' stories. I do enjoy those stories. And if you have one, uh, in addition to a question, but uh, you want to share your own story about finding a a job, uh, again, Cecilia's address is cecilia at maxlist.org. These segments by Ben and Cecilia are sponsored by the MaxList Guides, publisher of our new book, Land Your Dream Job in Portland and Beyond. Now, the MaxList Guides give you the tools you need to get the job you want. We show you how to crack the hidden job market, stand out in a competitive field, and how to manage your career. In each of the book's eight chapters, experts share job hunting secrets like how to hear about positions that are never posted and what you can do to interview and negotiate like a pro. You can download the first chapter of the book for free. Just visit maxlist.org slash maxlistguides. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with more tools and tips you can use to find your dream job. In the meantime, visit us at maxlist.org where you can sign up for our free newsletter with more than 100 new jobs every week. And if you like what you hear on our show, you can help us by leaving a review, a comment, and a rating at iTunes. Thanks for listening.